Hello and welcome back. It's time for Say What, where we hear from those connected to the industry about what's going on in our world of electrical apprenticeship. And of course, this includes those topics that you have suggested to us. So keep them coming. I'm your host, Cindy Sanderford, joined by Todd Stafford, the executive director of the Electrical Training Alliance. Get ready. Um, we are in for a treat today because we are speaking with the team at the Cassandra Banks Foundation. They are working to build opportunities for black women to excel in the industry. We are very excited to welcome Brennan, Drew, and Melanie. All right, Cassandra Banks team, uh, let's talk about you. If you will, introduce yourselves. Let us know who you are and a little bit about you. I'd be happy to, to, to kick it off and uh, just want to say it's great to to join uh, you all today and, and uh, have this conversation uh, about the trade and diversity. Uh, my name is Brennan Banks, um, the founder and president, vice president of the Cassandra Banks Foundation. Um, I come to the foundation with uh, two decades of humanitarian um, and philanthropic uh, experience really dedicating my career to work with uh, communities to see how to best support them, um, specifically around emergency management, disaster management. Spent many years working in Africa with uh, communities across the continent, working on ways to uh, enhance community resilience. Uh, more recently, um, over the last five to six years, I've uh, returned to the United States where I'm working in the philanthropic area. And uh, what that means is really working with um, private sector, uh, community foundations, uh, national foundations, and other uh, philanthropic interests to uh, help them be more effective in their support uh, to communities uh, and ensuring that they are also um, reaching out to underserved communities um, uh, and other pockets uh, of various in the United States to have targeted, uh, effective, and more efficient philanthropic outreach and support services. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what do you even say? Like, it just, that's uh, a hard you thing. Say thank you, and yeah. I appreciate everything you do, what you say. Yeah. Yeah, thank well, you. <laughs> thank you. Agreed. Uh, Drew, you, you going to tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, so my name is Drew Souders. Um, I am actually, I'm from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, originally, kind of um, jumped around over the course of my life, my career, um, spent some time in Virginia, in DC, and then most recently just moved down to uh, California. So living out here in San Diego. Um, I actually met Brennan um, when we were deploying to the Caribbean together um, for the first time after Hurricane Irma. Um, we met each other in Miami airport in, um, in Florida on the way down to St. Martin to help run some hurricane recovery efforts. Um, and then since that time, I've done a lot of work on the domestic social programming side of things. Um, I do a lot of work in the workforce area, basically programs that help people to find jobs and to keep jobs. And with a specific focus on human-centered design, um, community engagement, and then increasing an equity focus, uh, racial equity focus for those kinds of programs. Um, so I actually started working with apprenticeship programs about two years ago in the Inland Empire region of California. Um, 
there's a lot of buzz around apprenticeship across the country right now, as I'm, I'm sure a lot of you will know. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there's a big movement from the current administration. There's kind of cross aisle support for increasing apprenticeship opportunities across the country right now. Um, and I think that bringing in an equity focus at the beginning um, like this is, is a really important, um, really important component of this. Um, so, yeah, just excited to excited to be here uh, with CBF and supporting the effort. Yeah. And thanks to you for the work you do. And it's incredible to hear the connection. You know, we didn't know each other uh, or we haven't known each other that long, I should say. And there's already a connection in the work that you do with apprenticeship and getting people to work. I mean, it's just it's incredible how this all came about. Uh, Miss Melanie, tell us about you. All right. Um, I started my career in ad agencies. So I grew up in New York. Um, I went to Duke, so I fell in love with North Carolina. So I lived in North Carolina for the last 20 some odd years, but recently relocated to Tacoma, Washington. Uh, so started my career in ad agencies, big brands, Royal Caribbean, Pepsi, McDonald's. But I did a lot of volunteer work almost two decades with an organization that worked with people with HIV AIDS. And that really was my pull to take my skills to the nonprofit sector. So I've worked in the nonprofit sector uh, probably 15, 16 years now. Um, really did some intensive training around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I will say it wasn't driven because I often had to frame it that way that I didn't do it because I was a black woman, but I did it from a business imperative, from a strategic standpoint that the realities of diversity, equity, and inclusion in an organization are about programming, are about organizational structure, are about things like hiring practices and morale. So, you know, when you're the communications person or the strategist, you know, it's sort of that framing in how do you start looking uh, toward the future. So that's why I'm excited to do this work. I guess I'm the third intersection <laughs> of the work that we do together and our, how uh, complementary our skill sets are. Well, that's very exciting. With that talent, passion, and wisdom from experience that you gain out of this, we got a good group here. No right. Doubt. Well, that's how I've had the privilege of obviously meeting with you all several times, um, not in person yet. We're, we're going to get there. But for now, it's been Zoom. And uh, and I just I feel like I every time we end the meeting, I just I feel like I've grown a little like I've learned stuff. And I'm sure Todd feels the same. It just kind of feels like an honor to sit here with you all. You know, the work that you're doing for humanity is is huge. And then to know that it's crossing over into us, into what our industry is. Um, and, and kind of thinking of that, it's the Cassandra Banks Foundation. So I would think the first thing we really probably make sure everybody knows is who is Cassandra Banks and what, what and why does this uh, foundation bear her name? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cindy, well, thanks. Uh, I'd be happy to take that on. And I think uh, I have that responsibility by starting off by saying uh, Cassandra Banks is my mother. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, as, as some of you or many of you know, um, you know, as an African-American male in the United States, one thing that we love to talk about um, and to uh, honor our mothers. And uh, Cassandra Banks is a journeyman wireman uh, with IBW. Uh, she is out of local 1579 in Augusta, Georgia. 
Um, she has over 40 years of uh, work um, in the trade under her belt. Um, as we speak today, at this moment, literally, she is uh, uh, in Southern California, working out a local 440 um, outside of Blythe in the desert, um, where she's working to build a uh, next generation of solar power plants. Um, and she's been focusing on that specific uh sector of uh, the electrical trade for uh, about four or five years now um, between uh, 440 and uh, 357 I believe out of uh, Vegas mm -hmm. um, but my mom uh, as I mentioned earlier you know someone uh, that uh, I, I can speak to uh, for for hours and speak about for hours uh, someone that has really inspired me to be who I am today and you know Cindy you, you're quick to acknowledge uh, my background and the background of my colleagues but speaking for myself you know the reason why I decided to get into the field uh, nonprofit field to, to help communities and help families um, to uplift communities and families was, was because of my mom and, and her story and her story goes back to 1979 um, where um, as a young single mother um, she realized that um, you know she was stuck in in sort of a situation of poverty uh, living in Augusta Georgia and literally on the other side of the tracks um, working two jobs while uh, her and I uh, lived in the back bedroom, you know, of her mother's house, my grandmother. And she realized that, uh, you know, she needed to make a change in her life. And in 1979, she walked into the uh, IBW local 1579 hall in Augusta, Georgia, and said, I want to learn more about this apprenticeship program. You know, what is this all about? Um, she had been taking side jobs on various construction sites and, uh, you know, had learned about this apprenticeship program, and this opportunity. Um, so she walked into that office, which uh, at that time, you know, for a young black woman was was kind of unheard uh, of. Um, you know, at that time, it was still very much a white male dominated uh, industry and, and local. But, um, you know, my mother and her spirit, um, she said, I, I want to sign up. I want to I want to do this and uh, uh, let's get this started. And she entered the apprenticeship program uh, that same year. Uh, she was the only woman in the class. Uh, she was the only uh, black uh, trainee in her class. But despite all of those odds, um, she was able to graduate, uh, complete the program, overcoming a long list of challenges. Um, but uh, she turned out in 1579 and, and as I said, uh, continues to be an active uh, journeyman uh, in the IBW and electrical trade. Um, and really, you know, as a single black mother at that time, you know, the apprenticeship program was a um, viable um, opportunity or pathway um, to economic freedom. And it took, you know, our family from uh, poverty uh, into uh, the middle class, as we would say here in America. And uh, because of that decision she made in 1979, uh, despite the odds and the challenges that she faced, um, you know, it enabled me to be the man I am today. It enabled me to um, decide to go on to college and, and you know, get a degree and, and decide to move into the humanitarian nonprofit field uh, and, and to see how I can help others. Um, so, you know, again, as African-American male, you know, my priority in life is to honor my mom. And uh, in her case, it's really easy for me to honor her because of the hard work and sacrifices that she's made. Um, but all that was possible because of um, the electrical trade and, and for this opportunity through the apprenticeship. And uh, just to, to piggyback on that, uh, the foundation that's named after her, Cassandra Banks Foundation, you know, we really we seek to harness her trailblazing spirit um, and, and really help more black women um, uh, 
discover these pathways to economic freedom and, and let them know that there are these viable uh, apprenticeship programs that could really um, help them build a career um, and help them provide uh, for, for their families in a very dignified uh, manner. Um, we want to help uh, increase you know, the number of persons of color, specifically black women, um, and help them uh, enter into the apprenticeship program secure placements in the program, and more importantly, uh, graduate from these programs and move them into high paying, skilled, and dignified work in the electrical trade industry. Um, you know, our goal is really to see how we can connect Black women, you know, with these programs. We want to make sure that they have the uh, additional financial support and resources they need to overcome some of the unique challenges that they face. Um, when compared to maybe uh, many of their, their white male colleagues in the program. We want to make sure that they have career advancement guidance uh, and mentorship, which you know we've learned is really, really important to help um, women in the trade and specifically women of color uh, complete their apprenticeship programs. And we also um, work with various stakeholders, um, such as the Electrical Training Alliance, uh, trade groups, uh, private sector, uh, to provide consulting services to them so that they can also uh, increase how they uh, work uh, with communities of color and, and how they uh, enhance and strengthen their uh, disaster equity, access and inclusion uh, needs and programs. Uh, and in conclusion, and ultimately, you know, we, we seek to create positive, lasting change uh, in communities of color, um, starting with one person, one family at a time, but allowing that to then be transformed into building generational wealth and, and helping them to strengthen uh, generations to come in communities of color. Yeah, it's uh, gosh, there's so much when I'm thinking of of your mom and her trailblazing and just the story and how many lives you know, she's touched from that decision to walk in and make that application, you know, and I'm, I'm a product of the industry, you know, I'm a, I'm a daughter of, I'm a niece of, I'm a cousin of, you know, someone that went through this trade. And so I know how my life and my children and, you know, are impacted by this. And so I love to hear this and then see you know, how you're story. giving back. You know, hearing the story is it's, admirable, no matter who's going to tell the story, but hearing it from her background as well as yours, Brennan, get, relating that has that much more power and wealth that we need to share. There's no doubt about it. So thank you for that very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But before we, like we're coming back, but I, mm -hmm. you got to tell us, mm -hmm. um, there is an incredible accomplishment um, that your mom's story has. Mm -hmm. And I'd like you to share that with us before we move on mm -hmm. to talk a little bit more about the foundation. A absolutely. Um, I, I was able to sort of, you know, give an overview of my, my mom's uh, journey you know, through the trade and so forth and, and our life and how it's been connected to those decisions she's made. But um, one fantastic and really interesting uh, accomplishment that she's made as a result of her decision to enter into electrical trade was that in uh, 2004, uh, Cassandra Banks uh, became the first black woman to reach the geographic South Pole. Um, I definitely want to note that uh, it, it's widely credited that uh, very accomplished explorer Barbara Hillary um, at the age of 79, you know, did reach the geographic South Pole in, in 2011. And that's been widely acknowledged by all major media markets. Um, but my mom did it seven years before her. 
uh, but my mom didn't do it uh, as an explorer. Explorer, uh, she definitely didn't do it uh, seeking any type of attention, and, and it was just something that we accepted within our family. Um, but in 2004, um, she took her trade as electrician, uh, applied for a job uh, with a, a government contractor that basically runs the Geographic South Pole Research Station on behalf of the U.S. government. And her, literally her job uh, took her to the Geographic South Pole, um, again, in which she became the first Black woman to reach the Geographic South Pole. And she spent uh, nearly a year there, including a winter over, as they say, uh, when basically you decide uh, in, in fall, you know, if you're going to commit and stay over through the, the uh the winter months uh, down there, I should say vice versa, because it's the Southern Hemisphere since in spring when they make that decision. Once you're there for the, the winter in the Southern Hemisphere and, and south uh, at the South Pole, there are no flights in and out for a, a maybe three to five month period. So she made the sacrifice and commitment to stay there through their winter, um, taking the risk of being there without the possibility of being evacuated or access to medical services. But she, um, you know, again, it's an exciting story because Again, it goes back to her decision in 1979 to to join the electrical apprenticeship program and to become an electrician. It was her career that enabled her to achieve this accomplishment of being the first black woman at the Geographic South Pole in 2004. And we really um, want to use her story and her accomplishments uh, to inspire other black women and, and women of color to uh, embark on, on pathways uh, through apprenticeships and in, in, in the trade industry. And again, I think it's just a powerful story that uh, it was her career that enabled her to make this accomplishment. And if my mother uh, was able to do that uh, starting in 1979 in Augusta, Georgia, you know, I wanna use her story to empower other women to realize that you know, they have the opportunity to fulfill their dreams, both in terms of uh, economic freedom, uh, the ability to provide uh, a dignified and stable livelihood for their children, for their family, and, and really um, build generational wealth as well and, and, and provide a, a good future for their children. But um, that, that again, that, that accomplishment in 2004 is something that's uh, been, been documented and uh, it's her story that we really want to share with others to further inspire and motivate other women to, to be uh, a new generation of Cassandra Banks and to be able to also embark on her journey um, using apprenticeship as a, a, a very strong viable pathway to do so. Yeah, you don't walk in and, and apply for apprenticeship and think, you know, I'm also going to be right, the first right. black woman at the South again. Pole. Right. Like, you, don't, you don't think that. So I think that's just such a great testament, regardless of who you are, where apprenticeship can take you. You just it, it is, I will say again, just limitless, the opportunities that are there. Um, Melanie, will you kind of, we've talked a lot about the foundations, but I want to really hone in on the mission. What is the mission of CBF? Well, Brendan certainly has touched on it in many ways. And what he will say is, I'm going to say it more succinctly, right? <laughs> but it's always the bigness of his ideas that have driven this foundation. But I'm going to read it because, Cindy, you're a communications person. So, you know, you play with the words and you want to get them just right. So indulge me for a minute because I'm going to read this. So our mission is to provide pathways to sustainable, well-paying, and gratifying livelihoods for Black women to pursue and young Black women to aim toward in order to create economic engines that give individuals and communities of color the power to chart their own destinies for well-being, asset building, and success. Wow. Yeah, words are 
magical. And so, yes, choosing the right ones is so important. Um, and I love, I love that. I mean, it's, it's a powerful statement that really does succinctly say what, you know, what this foundation is doing for women of color all across the board. Because, you know, there's data to prove that um, sometimes the workplace is, can be the least diverse um, and industries can be the least diverse because we tend to find out about jobs just through word of mouth or through our circle. And just unfortunately, a lot of our circles aren't very diverse. And so you just kind of start breeding and reproducing who you already are. And so I think being able to say, hey, here's a group of people who may not have been in the original circles that will benefit and go to the South Pole and be working, you know, doing solar work in California and Vegas. And so again, just being able to watch you all um, pursue this and make yeah. it happen is amazing. Well, the mission statement has a passion behind it and has a vision as well, which was well said and well stated. So thank you for that. Yes. But then the excitement to see as far as the pathways that we can grow and where we can go from here, I'm excited about. Oh my Good. gosh, yes. So Drew, what made you get involved with the foundation? Yeah, yeah. So um, Brennan and I have stayed in touch um, since since we first met. Um, and over time, you know, he started to tell me his, his story and Cassandra's story, um, and the opportunity that Cassandra was able to create for their family through apprenticeship and through taking this path. So obviously that's a hook, um, you know, like that's, you, you just heard it yourself. Um, it's an amazing story. Um, but, but honestly, it's, it's bigger than that too. Um, once you, once you start to dig in and learn a little bit about the history of apprenticeship in this country. Um, and kind of like the macro forces that are at work right now, it's it's clear how much of an opportunity there is right now to improve Black women's lives and make an impact in communities of color through opportunities in apprenticeship. Um, one of the one of the key things for CBF, we're we're all about honoring history. Um, and and actually, if you go to our website, uh, you can see there's a, a cool little timeline graphic that shows the history of apprenticeship um, in in the U.S. Um, and just, I won't go through the whole thing, but just a few things that, that you might not be aware of. Um, uh, actually, back in, when, when you're looking at the history of um, apprenticeship, specifically through kind of the intersectional lens of, of being a Black woman in the United States, um, there's a, cute, a few really key, like pivotal moments in our history. Um, one was obviously the National Apprenticeship Act back in 1937, um, which, you know, was technically allowed everybody to, to be a part of an apprenticeship. Um, but in practice, Jim Crow laws um, and other local discriminated, uh, discriminatory practices prevented people from actually joining um, Black people and other people of color. Um, that, that kind of changed in 1964 when um, the Civil Rights Act was able to provide some kinds of protections for people. Um, but interesting to note, women still weren't allowed into apprenticeship until 1978, when um, Jimmy Carter signed an executive order. So black women were excluded from, you know, apprenticeship up until the year before Brennan's mom uh, joined the industry. Wow. Um, it's, it's really interesting to look, she joined in 1979. Um, so if you look at the impact of that legislation and that um, kind of anti-discrimination accountability mechanism that that policy had, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the reason that we're here today. Um, is that executive order um, back back in that day. Um, and yeah, so looking at the history, um, you know, which obviously impacts everything that we do today, um, 
it was actually back in 79 that the um, rate for women's participation in apprenticeship went up to about 7%. Um, and then uh, in, back in eight, 1980, Reagan kind of stripped some accountability mechanisms that allowed that number to keep going up. Um, and we actually seen that apprenticeship has stayed around that 7% mark for women's participation um, for the last four decades, actually. Um, so yeah, so there's, it's, it's interesting to look at the history um, and then to look at where we're at now, um, where there's kind of this cross aisle support for apprenticeship. Um, there's the National Apprenticeship Act of 2021 coming down with some additional funding to support expansion into new industries, um, new sectors, including um, you know, the electrical trades. Um, so it's, it's an exciting time to, to say, you know, we, we've seen what's happened and we can imagine a new future. Yeah. And I've, Drew and I've had, uh, as I've mentioned, the opportunity, I've had opportunities to talk to this group a lot. And Drew's passion and his heart and commitment um, is just, it's tangible. And I've always appreciated that about our conversations. And I'm just, as you're talking, Drew, I'm thinking all because of a, you know, encounter in a Miami airport, you know, all of this comes back to you and Brennan meeting up. And I just think that is so, I, I love stuff like that. I, I eat it up. So those chance encounters or whatever you want to call them. Um, but Melanie, you know, you've talked about your work in the public private sector, moving to nonprofit. How did you get involved with CBF? Yeah, I realized I didn't mention how Brennan and I connected. So we worked for the Center for Disaster Philanthropy. The first time I heard Brennan, he was on a webinar. And I don't remember which island you were on, Brennan, but you know, I thought, wow, he's pretty amazing. And then he came to work with us. And we just sort of developed that friendship and that rapport. And I just always loved you. You talked about passion. And so no one is more passionate than Brennan. So when he called me and said, hey, this is something I'm thinking about. This is my mom's story. What do you think? I was like, okay, I, I, yeah, I can do that. But I think I also saw it from a personal standpoint. You know, as a Black one, woman, I experienced my own microaggressions in, in throughout my career, everything from being told I didn't have leadership skills to, you know, a boss who told me with my very short haircut that, you know, I was becoming more and more radical uh, to, you know, things that were flat out discriminatory. So I understood, even though I did not have a background in the trades, I understood what that was like. And I understood the power and the value of advocacy and mentorship. So when Brennan talked about what he wanted to do and his vision, I was like, okay, sign me up. I'm in. Yeah. Well, Brennan's voicemail, um, cause he left it, I think it was on our like customer service line and it went to Todd and then right. Todd sent it over to me. And I mean, you could feel it as you, you know, this, it, this tangible, like Drew's, you know, this tangible passion. And then I don't know, Brandon, I don't know how long we stayed on the phone that first day, but I thought, man, we got, you know, like, I got to let this guy go, but I could, you know, just talking and asking questions. So it's, um, what a great team you have. We, we at the ETA love to talk about our team, this group at this organization and the different skill sets. And when I look at you all, I, I see that magnified, you know, just the three of you, um, having these different skills and different interests and coming together to create something 
fabulous. And so I'm, I'm curious, like in your minds, um, why do you think this work matters? And I know you've touched on it a little bit, but um, Drew, like, why does it matter to you? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, the, the inherent power of economic freedom, which has kind of eluded black women and uh, communities of color for generations, it's, it's an integral part of a diverse workforce, making that diverse workforce um, more equitable um, and just more inclusive for, for everybody involved. Um, I, you know, diversity brings so much um, power and difference in perspective to the workplace. Um, it's, it's been you know, shown in studies that bringing a more diverse workforce is, is the way to go. Um, so I think there's such a huge value add there um, and then, yeah, just just looking at the, you know, the current state. Um, yeah, if you're looking at the numbers, women apprentices earn fourteen dollars per hour less than men on average currently. Um, black apprentices earn twelve dollars per hour less than their white counterparts. Um, you're, you're talking about really big numbers. Um, and then, if you I talked about intersectionality, if you lay those two identities on top of each other, um, you, you can see how much of an impact that has for a black woman in, in the industry. Um, so it's, it's, in my mind, it's all about, um, first and foremost, you know, helping black women find access to economic freedom through these paths. Um, and I just think it's the right thing to do. You know, there's just, everybody's gonna benefit at the end of the day from, from taking this path. Mm. And I wanted to- Oh, go ahead, Brennan. I'm sorry. sorry. I, you know, and I, I just wanted to add, and Drew really, you know, touched on some really important points here. But at the end of the day, fundamentally, apprenticeship programs for Black women and, and other persons from communities of color, it's really given them, you know, self-determination. And again, it, and I keep, you know, repeating that viable option for employment um, and, and not requiring a college degree, but, you know, being able to take someone and uh, giving them this opportunity, this pathway to really strengthen their family's economic uh, security and freedom, um, as well as uh, supporting, you know, the larger communities of color that they come from. Um, and, and, you know, we've all been really motivated by 2020 and, and sort of this uh, racial social awakening uh, here in our, our country. And, uh, you know, we, we're really talking about building generational wealth. And I think, again, uh, apprenticeship programs uh, such as the Electrical Training Alliances programs across the country really provide that viable pathway and that opportunity to, to economic security and freedom. Absolutely. And you mentioned money. And I know that, you know, our listeners um, have some of them may and some may not know the, the beautiful thing about what um, IBW, NECA, ETA, you know, the way this works, every apprentice is making the same amount. So gender, um, race, none of that matters. So if I'm a first year, first period apprentice, I make this much money, you make that same amount. Um, but where I know, and you all are very familiar, of course, with the IBW, NECA, ETA joint task force for DE&I, one thing we've been talking about a lot is, of course, like, okay, the money, yes, which is great, um, because we see that as a, a major problem across all industries. So we've got that part down, that everybody's getting paid the same. 
But what about the training, you know, whether that be on the job site? And that's one thing, you know, it's like we want to make sure that everybody's getting trained the same and getting the same attention regardless of gender, skin color and so forth. And so when Drew was mentioning that, I think, you know, it's one thing that we can, if you want to even say brag upon, is like we know that we're paying everyone equal, but we still get back to are we treating, are we admitting, are we? And then we start going down that that uh, rabbit trail. But saying DE&I made me think of you all add an A. So you do, and let me see if I can say this right, because I'm used to saying DEI, but you say DEAI. And so I'd love for you to share with us why that shows up um, when your organization is talking about this effort. Sure. Um, The A is for access. And so while the other three pillars of diversity, equity, and inclusion are absolutely vital, um, on historically excluded communities, access there's a huge lack of access in everything from education to wealth building to job opportunities. So that's why we add the DEAI in um, our work. And and we do have a diversity uh, statement on our website, which I'm going to read again, just because again, it's the magic of the word. So I apologize when you talk to a communications person, you know, you wanna just be sure we get it right on point. So anyway, so I just want to say, I want to include this because I think it's part of how we've talked about the specifics of it, but I also think it's the broader foundational principles of what we do and what we're looking to do together with ETA. So for the the Cassandra Banks Foundation, diversity, equity, access, and inclusion are foundational principles which are central to our mission as we focus on creating a more inclusive future where workforces are more diverse, economic power is distributed equitably, say that two times fast, (laughs) and philanthropy is in alignment with the needs of communities of color as defined by the people themselves. Hmm. You know, I like access the more I'm I'm thinking about it because access feels actionable. You know, I'm granting access, I'm giving access, I'm making this, you know, and I think that's one of the things that we're hearing um, whenever you research or listen to webinars or attend um, any kind of conference on DEI or DEAI, um, you're going to see that it's like, okay, we've done a lot of talking over the past year or so. We've talked about social injustice, we've all been raged, we've made our posts on social media, but that's, we can't stop. That's just, that's what gets us going. Now we've got to put the feet to it. And so that access to me is is really a huge part of that. And I guess speaking of it's, action. It's an action word. It's an action it is. word. Well, I take it to mean as far as action. And you're exactly right as far as we can build all the DE and I components we want, but giving access is not equitable. Right. Pure and simple. So I like the access word being used. Yeah, it's got to be the verb. We, we've got to yeah. see what's doing. And speaking of doing, you all... Um, Amazingly, it's it's incredible what you've done just in such a short mm-hmm. period of time that we've worked together. Um, but you did some focus groups with Black women. Um, this was back in in August of 2021, and I wanted to see if you could tell us, Drew. I'll come to you, but I know um, others may want to you know add into this. But can you give us kind of a high level? We don't want to do anything to break confidentiality. You know, I know there was some. Um, we really worked to make sure everyone felt comfortable with what they were able to share, but maybe a high level look on what you found out from those groups. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share. Um, 
Yeah, we were really excited about the focus groups um, back in August. Uh, we, we got some great representation from women from across the country with kind of all different levels of experience from um, some who had, you know, just been in apprenticeship for less than a year to some who had been in for eight to 10 years um, and journeyed out. Um, all, of, all of the women we spoke to were, were black women, um, but we really do believe that a lot of the insights that came out of the focus groups apply to not just black women, you know, they apply to um, other historically excluded groups such as women, um, other people of color, people with disabilities. Um, and we've already talked about, you know, how, how including those groups is, you know, just creates a better workforce for all. Um, so we, we had three kind of main takeaways that came out of the focus groups that we wanted to talk about today. Um, one was that there's, we, we were just talking about this um, in terms of access. Um, there's an information gap currently. Um, not a lot of people know about opportunities in apprenticeship, um, except those with family and friends in the industry. Um, so there's, there's definitely an opportunity to reach out to more diverse audiences to let people know about these kinds of opportunities and, and the path that that can create for, for your family. Um, uh, second key takeaway that we, we heard from the women we spoke to was that job sites are, are challenging environments for black women. Um, I, I don't wanna go into specific stories. We mentioned the confidentiality, mm -hmm. um, but we heard very candidly about, about black women's experiences with racial and sexual discrimination um, on job sites. Um, so we think that there's an opportunity to work with contractors and across all of the organizations um, that kind of take place in this space to take a closer look at the environments that we're recruiting women and people of color into um, and look at best practices for creating safe environments for all people that are on the, on the job site, including black women. Um, I, I think it's important to call out here that while black women are potentially more likely to be targeted on job sites because of the color of their skin, um, they're, they're definitely not the only ones that are affected by sexual discrimination on the job site. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that I think about is, you know, that could be my sister, you know, that that could be my my mother, my aunt, my niece. Um, you know, it's it, the environment that we're placing people into affects, you know, affects all different kinds of people. Um, so just connecting that um, empathetically. Um, yeah. Last last thing on this one is just around um, there. There's one quote that I'll read that I thought was really powerful. Um, so this is a quote from one of the women in our focus groups. Um, they're fighting to the death to make sure that we don't make a living. I think that, I think about this as a woman who does not need a husband, as a woman who is making as much money as a two income household. That's what they're fighting against our independence. Thought that was really powerful. And that kind of, that just kind of changed my lens a little bit on some of the, the discrimination that might be experienced by some women in these workplaces. Um, and then the third point is just around, we heard again and again, the importance of mentorship and network building um, for, for these women. Um, a lot of black women are the only black women on their job sites um, and the only black women that they come across. So creating opportunities for black women to connect with one another. Um, but also we heard a lot of stories about um, black women who had white women mentors as well, 
you know, um, just like making those connections to make sure that black women have the support networks that they need um, to, to really succeed on the job sites. Um, yeah, those were, those were really the, uh, the main takeaways that we came away with. Um, and we're just really excited about the opportunity to work alongside ETA, IBW, and NECA um, to kind of build on the DEI work that y'all are already doing um, to, to try to fill some of these gaps. Yeah, I, there was so much, and, and we've obviously communicated about the um, results of your focus group with, again, being very mindful of confidentiality because you all created such a safe space, and that's one thing we won't wreck. Like, we're not coming in to disrupt that, but I anybody that's ever probably heard me talk has heard me talk about intent versus impact. So whatever our intention is, what is the impact of said words right. and actions? And, and as you, you know, communicate from, from what you've learned is we, it may not be our intention. And by our, I mean the electrical industry, mm -hmm. it may not be the intention to make a woman or to make a black woman feel that way. But the point is it's happening. And so what can we do to change that. And I think that's where the responsibility comes in. You know, it's kind of like, you can't tell me you didn't hurt my feelings. You may not have wanted to hurt my feelings, right. Right. but you did. And so I think, you know, taking ownership and responsibility for, for what we can do and how we right. can change to have, it. To have the, co the quote given is what we need to look at, not the fact that it was having to be made. So Absolutely. I agree. The impact is what's most important. Yeah. And just for, for more for our listeners, um, you know, just this mentorship and mm -hmm. connection, um, networking. I mean, that's mm -hmm. something Todd and I, I think over the past, gosh, right. I don't even know how long, um, have been talking about. And you're going to start seeing more and more mm -hmm. um, about that ways to connect. We're, we've you know been working on that with training directors, connecting with each other and instructors and apprentices. And, and certainly when it comes to DE&I, you know, ways to connect and make sure people don't feel alone and they can share successes and struggles um, to support each other. So absolutely. Brennan, I got a question for you. Um, this is certainly, you know, it's, it's a new endeavor and yet I can see the benefits of it lasting uh, and being so far reaching. What do you envision um, the impact of CBF being? Yeah, thanks, Cindy. I think I think that's a great question, and it's really the intent versus the impact. And for us, it's it's all about the impact. You know, the three of us uh, collectively have decades of experience with uh, humanitarian programs, nonprofit uh, um, work, uh, as well as philanthropic um, activities. And and for us, you know, the Cassandra Banks Foundation. You know, we want to capitalize on our uh, extensive experience and, and, and unique angle, you know, on the private sector and then specific trades to help them with diversity, equity, access, and inclusion. And we want to make sure that these are fundamental principles for uh, some of these key uh, sectors uh, in the trade and, and private sector as a whole. Um, and this really, you know, the, the diversity equity, access, and inclusion is central to our mission. Um, we're focused on creating a more inclusive future where workforces, including the electrical trade, are, are more diverse at the end of the day. Um, furthermore, we want to, you know, as I've noted, is to uh, provide economic power uh, to communities and individuals that might have feel, felt left out. You know, we want to make sure that economic power is distributed uh, equitably, you know, across our communities uh, here in America. And uh, also, you know, the f ensure that philanthropy is in alignment with the needs of communities of color as defined by 
mm-hmm. communities of color, you know, and, and I'll, I'll just uh, add that as someone that has, has worked in philanthropy for many years, both uh, with high wealth uh, individuals, uh, national foundations, uh, and so forth, um, philanthropy itself is also a field that, that needs to be diverse. Um, and philanthropy as a whole is still, you know, overwhelmingly led by uh, some of our, our white brothers and sisters um, who are doing great work to support communities of color, but it's hard to do so when you don't have the representation uh, from communities of color, especially in terms of decision-making and and where the funding goes. And in addition to that, quite often, uh, I know some of you have heard uh, this sort of analogy, Um, you know, I compare it to Reagan's trickle-down economics of the 80s, whether you believe in it or not. But in terms of philanthropy, there's still this trickle-down approach where um, they feel their support to communities of color um, can be uh, 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 obtained or achieved by still supporting organizations and, and rewarding grants organizations that are still overwhelmingly um, white or, or lacking representation from communities of color, but that their work, you know, as middlemen, if I may, middlemen, um, you know, trickles down, you know, that the dollars will eventually trickle down to communities of color through advocacy campaigns or through uh, research and think tank work. But the reality is, is at the end of the day, those communities of color uh, that are trying to be targeted by philanthropy end up receiving pennies of pennies on the dollar you know, in terms of those grant dollars. And, you know, so part of our mission to conclude is also to change philanthropy. And and our vision is a foundation that is led by Black women, um, both in terms of board and staff, uh, and that decisions are made by the women uh, from these communities that we want to target and really put the power of uh, the decisions, the programs, the activities, the interventions firmly in the hands of, uh, of women of color. And then we think that's really important. So as we focus on uh, working with uh, specific uh, trade groups and specific uh, sectors, you know, at the same time, we want to also change philanthropy and, and, and provide a different approach for, for philanthropy to ensure that their dollars uh, are reaching uh, communities of color in a more effective and more efficient manner. That's a, so that's a huge point to me is when if I'm doing the work for or supporting something, it has to be for those and supporting those that it that it's meant to be. So I, I use this example, but I have a friend whose son is autistic. If I'm not hearing from her, if she's not telling me what she needs, what it's like, if she if I'm not centering it on that, I can go out and tell you all day what to do for parents of autistic Autistic children, children. but I have no clue from a personal standpoint. So I've got to inquire, I've got to put the parents who have the autistic child, if you will, on the board, right? They've got to have the seat, they've got to have the mic, and I sit back and I support it. And I think that's, you know, a a beautiful thing to make sure we, we recognize. So five years from now, Brennan, where where are you? Where where's CBF? Well, I I think, uh, you know, there's a few specific goals that we have over the next few years. Um, first, we want to expand on our partnerships with unions, trades, uh, and other uh, like-minded organizations that support Black women and larger uh, uh, communities of color as a whole. Um, and I just really want to, to pause and really thank the Electrical Training Alliance, IBW, NECA, um, and the, the newly established uh, Joint Task Force uh, in the electrical uh, industry. Um, as one of our key partners, you know, as we, we move forward with our mission and, and our goals. But we, we look forward to being an organization that's able to also support other 
uh, private sector um, and, and other trades because, um, you know, electrical trade is one opportunity, but there are other trades that are still overwhelmingly dominated uh, by white males. And, and we'd like to see more faces from uh, communities of color in those those fields. Second, um, you know, I mentioned earlier how mentorship is, is so important for uh, women and and and, and uh, persons of color in the apprenticeship programs. You know, quite often they're sitting in classrooms or on work sites where uh, there's not one person that looks like them. Um, it's important that they have a mentor that could provide them with the additional support, encouragement, um, words of advice to ensure that they can successfully complete these apprenticeship programs, which you know could last uh, over the course of three, four, five years. So, a key pillar for the Cassandra Banks Foundation is to ensure that every uh, apprenticeship uh, the participant that we support, that we engage with, we partner them with a specific mentor, someone that will be available to them, for them to, to help, uh, again, provide the encouragement, the motivation, words of advice, wisdom, you know, and sh their shared experience to ensure that they uh, have a higher likelihood of, a finish, of completing the apprenticeship program. Um, thirdly, and, you know, it's tied to that mentorship piece, which is to ensure that, you know, we can retain uh, black women and, and, and other individuals from communities of color in the apprenticeship programs. And uh, connected to that, you know, it starts with the recruitment and it goes back to that access information and ensuring that uh, more black women have access to the program, which starts with the recruitment. It starts with the awareness and, and going out to uh, communities of color, uh, working with other nonprofits that are already working with um, communities of color, specifically black women, and ensuring that these women have the information they need about apprenticeship programs and, and helping to recruit a more, more diverse participation in the apprenticeship programs. And then uh, fourth, uh, you know, all this leads to, you know, as I, I highlighted earlier, creating a more diverse workforce that in turn um, helps to change the culture uh, in the trades, the, the culture at the work site uh, to be more inclusive and more welcoming for all um, workers. And, 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 you know, I'll end by also adding that, you know, there's certain issues and challenges on a, on a work site or at the workplace that are closely linked to our society and, and we can't change society. So we can't change every workplace or work site, you know, and I think when we talk about diversity, equity, access and inclusion, it, it starts with training, you know, to uh, train managers and, and supervisors so that they are more mindful about how they engage their workforce and, and, and ensure that there's a healthy, safe environment for all of their colleagues on the workforce. But at the same time, we have to change the faces within that workforce. And, and I strongly feel that, you know, it's a two-pronged approach, but um, over the course of time, a more effective uh, way of creating a more diverse uh, and more inclusive uh, workplace and work, you know, uh, working environment is just to change the faces, you know, at the work site. So that um, if, if me, if as an as a African-American male, you know, if I walk into work site that I can see African-American males, the same thing for a black woman, same thing for uh, a Latina, same thing for a woman, period, you know, to not be the only woman on the job site. So I think the, the greatest opportunity that we have uh, in front of us um, for the foundation, for the Electrical Training Alliance, Alliance and, and other apprenticeships is ensuring that we're recruiting more uh, diverse candidates to participate in the program and turn out these programs. And in result is that we have more diverse uh, faces at the work site. And, and when you do that, that changes the culture. Yeah. That changes the culture. 
Yeah, Brennan, you've echoed my comments several times made, and just what you're saying about increasing the workforce through diversity as well as the mentoring uh, initiative you had. It's spot on. Our, our, our message has been that way for quite some time now, and it's good to hear that coming from you, from your experience and background, to see somebody believing the same thing. So I'm excited about what we can do here. Yeah. And that seeing myself, whoever whoever I am, right, right. regardless of, of anything, any of my background, because um, it is that intersectionality. We're so much more than just one thing, but to be able to see myself somewhere, to see that this is possible, this is attainable, I'm not alone. I mean, that's if you think about any kind of support group. Well, the most powerful thing you can do with apprenticeship outside the apprenticeship structure itself is have somebody there to walk an apprentice through the process. That's what mentoring is, right. what it is. Right, right. I, I bring back another friend, but you know her daughter was mm -hmm. diagnosed with cancer before she was a year old. Mm -hmm. And as much as my, you know, I want to support her and others mm -hmm. um, that are in her circle want to support. There's a different support that she gets from other families and other parents mm -hmm. of uh, their children having cancer. You know, because we we're there or we've been there or we are there, and so it is. It's just different. Um, so to be able mm -hmm. to connect this experience and now that's my experience together yeah. that's i mean it's a beautiful thing and it and it to me it, it creates success just kind of naturally oh, uh, melanie I think it's important to to point out and we heard this in in the mm -hmm. focus groups too mm -hmm. that it's not that you black women want special treatment it's like we don't want specialness it's it's more about just leveling that playing field and making it so that everyone can su succeed. So I think that's just one part that as we think about this, it's not about, uh, you know, so I want your audience to not hear it as, this is the special group and they deserve so much. It is about just being inclusive, bringing everyone to the table in a way that everyone succeeds. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting about that to me is we, um, outside of whatever the group, so we're going to say black women, we're talking to you, right? Um, oh, I'm having to make all these efforts. I'm having to make all these changes. And it's like, but the problem is it's because of how things were and are. Like you're actually just asking to treat a person respectfully, kindly, inclusively, equitably, but because unfortunately society has not done that right. to this point, the industry has not done that to this point, it feels special. And it's like, no, it shouldn't be. That's what be. we should be doing anyway. <laughs> right. That's, that's what we say, right? That's it. Yeah. So, so for those that feel like, oh, this is such a change, well, it's a change that, you know, should yeah. have been made a long same, time ago, shouldn't have never been be there. Doing already. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Melanie, I'm going to let you um, help close us out with people may be listening and want to know, like, how do we find out more about the Cassandra Banks Foundation? Where do we even find them? So can you help help sure. us out with that? Um, we're at CassandraBanks.org is our website, and you can reach any of us um, with our first names at CassandraBanks.org. We're also, I will say, we, I've been a little slack on Twitter, but we are on Twitter also, uh, CassBanksFDN. And uh, we'll, we're just excited about this opportunity. Thank you for your willingness to, to chat with us and hear about you know, all of our initiatives. Melanie, Drew, Brennan, we say thank you to you. We thank you for participating with us. Yes. Huge mm -hmm. thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for reaching mm -hmm. out to us and letting us be a part of this. Um, it truly is, I think, our privilege um, to, to help you. So thank you all so much. So, Todd, that mm -hmm. was oh, 
Uh, that, that was an incredible one. I love, I love to connect with people that are passionate. We probably have said this over and over that there's so many in our industry um, that mm-hmm. feel so strongly about what we do and who we are. And so, um, what, what did you think? Like, what are what is, key what, take? What's your say what moment from that? What a story! <laughs> what a story you have with Cassandra Banks and what she's able to accomplish in this industry. Back during a time where the access wasn't as easy as it is now, we talk about access. Part of this there, and it, it's better today than it was in 79 but what a story she has to share and the example she can give to show apprentices today young journey women today that are just starting in the industry journey level workers of all uh, areas of our industry oh what a great story i mean I, i'm jealous of where she's got the work in some of the places go to south polo work wow what, right. what a job i mean what, what, what an experience that is and not just the location she has but her you think about a work ethic to get there you have to have the work in the industry. You have to be willing to work to succeed and advance, and it's proven by what she's able to be accomplish where she's at. So that's another story worth sharing, no matter uh, being a black woman or not. That's anybody in our industry can work that long in that type of environment, though many locations. Now that's worth sharing. Uh, she's doing something right in that case, or whoever it is that would accomplish those same goals. That's doing something right. Yeah. Let's, share, let's share that story. So, I would agree. Yeah, echoing that, I think that's my kind of moment uh, is yeah. just – her story um, and and how it's passing on, you know, mm-hmm. the next generation to her son right. and the work that he's doing in our industry. So basically, I feel like our industry is going to be better because Cassandra Banks walked into a JATC and applied. Well, you is. know, because it'll it, be this. better. And, and think about it, I, and I, I always believe this selfishly, but I think I'm right. Uh, we have the best industry already, but think about how good we could be and what we can right. do and how we can grow and use the assets available to us and by the experiences of our individual members, this being one, mm-hmm. and a great one to look and use and admire, why not? Let's do that. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And this the continued mm-hmm. work of the IBW NECA ETA mm-hmm. Joint Task Force uh, for mm-hmm. DE&I. I mean, it's just it's an incredible group of people mm-hmm. that are completely committed um, exactly. to this, and that's, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much again to Brennan, Drew, and Melanie um, for all that they're doing and certainly for being mm-hmm. with us. Big thanks always to you, the listeners, for taking time to join us. Remember that we want to hear from you. I'm not going to stop saying that, that if there's topics you want us to cover, don't forget to send me an email at saywhat at electricaltrainingalliance.org. Our next episode is going to be in March, which is Women's History Month. And we're going to be talking with some incredible women from our industry. Until then, stay connected with us through our newsletters, blog posts. Follow us on social media. Subscribe to this podcast. Tell somebody about it. Stay powered up, and we will see you next time. 